the successful internet entrepreneur was very sexy for, for, for like young college men. Like it was just everywhere. Mark Zuckerberg, people had him as a poster on their wall. I mean, it was like, that was the dream. Right. And to, to do that, to start that out, it was very much the solopreneur route. And here I was this person who's, who now I now have realized really good on a team, really good at helping see how ideas and, and plans and strategies will work once they're created, but maybe not creating the idea or the product or the, you know, the offering myself. Um, I need a team. And, and I, I was trying to go, I kept beating my head against this door of like, I'll do it all. I'll do it myself. I'll be the solopreneur. Didn't work for me. And then it took me a while to actually come to that conclusion of like, oh, maybe I'm not this ego ideal that I'd made up about the successful, you know, one man gunslinger, you know, future, you know, future internet entrepreneur. I had to realize like, I need, I need other people. Welcome to the Edge of Excellence podcast. This show is for current and aspiring leaders that are dedicated to showing up every day in their lives with excellence. We break down the careers of those excelling so you can understand what is out there and how to rise up in every field you choose. Let's get the show on the road, shall we? Your host has spent his life promoting global entrepreneurship, helping 20-somethings find their passion and working to help others achieve excellence. CEO of CollegeWorks, Matt Stewart. Thank you very much for making time for the show. And don't forget to hit the subscribe button. We've got lots of great shows coming your way. And today is no exception. Today, we have Adam Socks on the call. Adam has had a crazy path. And he's going to talk about serendipity and looking for the opportunities that are passing you every day because Adam is going to teach you how to find your calling. And basically, it comes down to try try again. Adam says there's no real top of the mountain. You're in a constant state of learning and developing. And guess what? He knows because Adam is a coach and a consultant. He works on rebuilding Navy submarines and aircraft carriers. He's owned several businesses and he found his way in a most interesting way. Welcome to the Edge of Excellence. Adam, thank you so much for making time to talk to me today, and welcome to the Edge of Excellence. How is the weather up in Seattle, and how is it affecting your coaching business? <laughs> hey, thanks for having me, Matt. Pleasure to be here. Uh, the weather in Seattle, you probably would have guessed it, is uh, rainy and overcast today, and uh, I actually did not have to go where I work into the shipyard today, so no, no effect on business for me. And do you typically go go in for work or do you stay at home and work? I know COVID is starting to... Yeah, COVID has changed it all for all of us, hasn't it? Yeah, I do kind of a hybrid approach. I work uh, remotely a couple of days a week talking with people. And uh, I'm primarily on site at the Puget Sound Naval Shipyard base for the U.S. Navy, where they repair uh, aircraft carriers and submarines. I work with a team that uh, supports the project leadership that runs those uh, repair uh, projects. And because it's something so sensitive and you've got these multi-year uh, projects, you want to be there because it's a one or two year project. You want to be there to see what's going on a couple of days a week to see how you're, how you're coaching and how your advice is being carried out. Yeah, it's a, it's a kind of a unique uh, consulting type engagement in the fact that we're there on the ground working uh, on it embedded within the teams that we support and serve. And uh, you're right in the, in the nature that um with clearances and the way they uh, safeguard information, they're very uh, careful about any sort of digital communications, wow. email, telecom outside of outside the walls. So it's just a lot easier to be inside the gate there at the at the site. Wow, interesting. So uh, preventing hacking by forcing you to drive in. I like working in person anyway. Yeah, me too. Me too. It's a lot easier. You get you, know, you read people's body language. It's so much easier. Even with the masks on, it's we've still noticed a huge difference uh, in quality when you're sitting there in the room with someone versus trying to do it uh, over you know telecon or Zoom or something. And so we'll get into exactly what you do and exactly how you got into coaching and your career path. Uh, but prior to that, I want to back up a little bit. You're dealing with sure. you know, some of the greatest Americans that you can deal with on that Navy base. So you're probably used to excellence and seeing a lot of excellence. But why don't you share with us what your definition of excellence is? 
Yeah, thanks for asking. Um, so I'm kind of a believer that in any pursuit, uh, at least in the, in the domains that I'm interested in, in personal development and, you know, developing others, working with organizations, there's no real top to the mountain. There's always going to be room for improvement. So I like how you're actually going to comment. I like how your podcast is titled The Edge of Excellence, because I think it is. We talk about learning to, to work and, and look for your own growth edge. So it's, it's more about a state or a zone of learning and developing yourself versus some point you reach to some milestone that you get. Now there's milestones along the way, but for me, excellence is, is kind of this zone of, of being in kind of a high performing mode of operation. You know, it's, and I think everybody's, everybody's felt it in one way or the other, whether you're training for a marathon or, or you've got really, a really good workout regimen, or you're in a, in a sweet spot in your job. It's, it's something where you're playing to your strengths and you're really, learning and growing and pushing yourself. So in your definition, then someone could be on the edge of excellence. They never get there because it's the, it's the, there's no real top of the mountain. So they're constantly on that edge of excellence, but the actual person, the being is constantly excellent, even though they may not have perfected anything. They're in a process of being excellent that then affects how they play an instrument, if they've never played one before, yeah. how they buy groceries, how they do their job. Yeah, I think so. You know, otherwise, you know, I, I'm a believer, like we have a, my wife and I have a five-year-old son at home. We talked about before about having kids at and what that, that journey with fatherhood is like. I want to be able to relate to my five-year-old as excellent when he does something really well. For him, a big thing we're practicing right now is manners and showing gratitude and saying please and thank you and being respectful of others, you know, when he's on the playground and things. And I think when he's really practicing that and embodying, you know, uh, respect for others, that's, that's kind of its own form of excellence for kids in high school, you know? So I don't think that it has to be about, you know, uh, landing your dream job or making a million dollars. I think it's, it's playing at that growth edge. And if you do that, the, the good things will come, you know, from that state of, of performance or state of being. Uh, that's interesting. And I think I told you that I never heard the same definition twice. So you have someone that's five years old that can be excellent or on that edge of excellence and hasn't applied their behavior, their patterns, their intelligence to any one thing and become a master of it. Hasn't even lit, well, lived 10,000 hours, but hasn't worked 10,000 hours, but they can have the mindset, the uh, habits, the routines of excellence and then that will create excellence in whatever they do. Yeah, I mean, it's probably not the adjective. I, the first one I would choose for a five-year-old. <laughs> we tell him he's doing a great job, you know. But I like to think that I've met. I like to think that I've met young people, like high school students, college students, that maybe they don't have the same resume that you or I would, or, or you know, people in their forties or fifties. But they're they're performing in a way that definitely sets them apart from their peers. And and there's a there's a way that they're kind of you know bringing it, if you will that uh that you know will lead to results so yeah so that's you know i don't know not to put too fine a point on it but i think it, i think it is more of a zone of operation than than some you know uh top of the mountain if you will well i like i like your definition i like focusing on the process i like putting everything you can into everything you do. And we all know people like that. There's the, the people that wake up in the morning and have a routine that's productive and uh, you know bite off the biggest challenge of the day and crush it and go work out at the end of the day and call their mom and dad and check in with their buddies. And they have a process, just a life process, a life routine that leads to excellence. And then there's probably some people that have been pretty good at something, maybe even excellent at something, but they don't have the process. They got lucky. And uh, by your definition, maybe they're not excellent in general. Yeah. I mean, excellence in that, in that second example there could just be a passing milestone. You know, you might, you might get lucky every once in a while, but I think you're right. I think, you know, when I talk to people, especially about improving in their career or their role or the way they lead teams, you know, you, you want to reach for the levers that you can control. And the process, as you're, as you're pointing to, is something that I think we have a lot more control over because you can set up your schedule. You can plan for things. You can get the gym membership. You can push yourself uh, to, to, you know, be consistent. And that's what's going to lead to results. I think for most of the successful people I've come across, I don't know about you. So consistent. <laughs> 
in excellence will one day lead to achievements of excellence. Focus on the process, focus on what you're doing every day. And it can start even before five years old if your kids are getting these. And I see it, man. I've got I've, I've been a chairman yeah. of a school board. I've been a fourth grade teacher for a little bit because that's what I want to do when I retire. Um, I've worked with college kids. And you see that you have the patterns or you yeah. don't. Yeah. Yeah, so much of it is, especially with the kids, so much of it's in a home life. Uh, we see a huge difference in some of the kids that our son comes across or play, play dates, you know, you, and it's, you don't want to, you know, pick on any family. I think a lot of families are out there doing the best they can. And yet it's remarkable when you have a, a way that a family behaves and treats each other and the things they reinforce. We talk a lot about incentives in my line of work, the way you can set up a family and the structure to have certain incentives for kids in terms of behaviors. It totally shows up where a lot of, I, th I think we're a product of our, of our nurture in that regard. Yeah. Well, let's go back to uh, back in the day for you. What was life like in high school? How did you see yourself and how did you find this kind of interesting path to where you are today? Yeah, uh, you know, in high school, I would say uh, I would say I was confused <laughs> a lot in high school, <laughs> trying to figure out who I was. I was trying to uh, find, I think like a lot of young people, trying to find an identity to, to try on or, or to, that I could live into. Uh, I was a bit of a hybrid. I wasn't, I wasn't a total athlete. Uh, I was into music. Um, I worked a lot, you know, my, my dad had a business, uh, we had a landscaping business growing up and a, and a family farm in, in mid Missouri where I'm from or outside the St. Louis area. So I was, uh, I was very, I was a very busy person. I had a lot of, I had a lot of friends, but I didn't have any one solid, uh, you know, group that I hung out with. I kind of floated between groups and, uh, and that's something I noticed about myself. I was, I was kind of a sensitive kid. I always had a little bit uh, more of a 10,000 foot view of what was going on in the situations than a lot of my friends. So uh, I, so I made pretty good choices. I would say that was, that was helpful as I, I, I could see that like, even when things got tough in high school, I was like, okay, I got a lot of life left here. This isn't going to last that long, you know, uh, probably best, best to just stick with uh, what I know is important in the long haul. So that's, that's one of my, uh, my wife always compliments me too. She says, that's one of my strengths is, slow and steady. She's fast and agile and, you know, she sprints like a jackrabbit on all things project and work related. And I'm more of the slow, consistent, um, turtle-like pace, if you will. So if you're in high school right now, and I know not many of our listeners are, but if you are, maybe you're in college and you feel overwhelmed, you're not the only one. If you feel confused, you're not the only one. If you are comparing yourself to other people and you're kind of putting yourself down a little bit, Welcome to high school mentality. And we hope that you uh, grow up fast so you can look back and realize you were better off in high school than any high school person thinks they are. We all think we suck in high school. And then you look back, wait, well, I wasn't so bad. So you're a sensitive kid. Um, you're moving around to different groups. So you blend well, probably. It's another way to look at it. Uh, you have high EQ, probably another way to look at it. You uh, appreciate unique attributes of different people. Another way to look at it. And where did you see yourself going? Uh, what did you think you'd be doing uh, when you were back in high school? Yeah, so uh, my plan, my plan uh, about my sophomore junior year of high school was to go into construction. Actually, that was my that was my big dream was to become like a union electrician. Uh, I actually went to a trade school that my I went to a small Catholic high school outside of St. Louis, and uh, they had a tech tech program for a tech school program for um, juniors and seniors. And so I did that for two years. And when I graduated, I hadn't applied for college or anything. I got out and I worked for a, a non-union residential electrician in the St. Louis metro area for about a year and really quickly realized while I could do that, it wasn't for me. And I was leaving a lot of stuff on the table uh, with my ambition and skills and intellect um, and, and I just didn't want to work that hard. Like it was backbreaking. I was working with these guys who were, I don't know, late forties, fifties at the time. And they were having back problems and arthritis. And we were out there, you know, a snowy day installing like landscaping lights on the outside of a soffit of a house. And it was like 35 degrees. And they're like, what are you doing? If, you know, if you can go to college, what, what's wrong with you? <laughs> and so I was thinking like, okay, these guys, again, that, that kind of humility or having the bigger picture in mind, it's like, okay, these guys probably know more about how this goes than I do. And they know more about this industry. And if they can see me better than I can myself, I should probably listen to them. 
And so, uh, so I left that and uh, went to community college the next year. So I was a year behind some friends, but it was kind of like, it was kind of a gap year for me. And the fact that I learned a lot about myself and I really had something great to compare my college experience to as I got into college and classes got hard and things like, you know, years later, I would look back and I'd think, okay, it's this or working construction. It's this or being out there freezing my butt off in a January morning, hooking up outside electrical outlets on the side of a house. I don't want to do that. So it really gave me some motivation to, to apply myself. And again, you saw the big picture. Some people would sit there and fret and freak out. You keep seeing the big picture. You're in tune with that around you, which gives you opportunity to pick up the path to excellence, right? Yeah, that, that, that's becoming very apparent to me in this conversation. <laughs> yeah. So so you go to college and what happened then? How did you uh, uh, figure out what you wanted to do next? What was life like in college? Your buddies were uh, one year ahead of you. So you're hanging out with the kids a year younger. Yeah, luckily I I, uh, I went to the University of Missouri in the in the middle of uh, middle of state there, and uh, I I was able to room with some guys that I had gone to school with. So so it wasn't until they graduated a year early before I really kind of felt that gap here kick in. But uh, yeah, it was it, you know I it was my first time really out of the house away from the family. So I definitely had a good time. Probably partied a little bit too much. Uh, I, again, wasn't totally clear on what, what I wanted. I, I, I was interested in, a, I've always been interested in a broad, you know, array of topics and I went kind of mainstream business. I did hone in on ag business management towards the end there. Um, I actually had a hard time getting into the, what they divide the, the business school at Mizzou into upper and lower levels. And my GPA wasn't good enough to get into the upper level when I needed to. You have to do it by the end of your sophomore year or something. So I uh, had a buddy over in the ag school and he's like, hey, man, come over here. It's smaller. The teachers spend more time with you. They don't have that stupid GPA restriction. You know, come on over. And plus, you're from a farm. So I was like, OK, this is a no brainer. Right. So I went over and, and did that. And um, yeah. And so it was it was, again, kind of there was just this sense of kind of floundering around and not really sure what I wanted. But I knew I needed to graduate. Uh, it did take me five years, but uh, I made it. And I and there was a couple different teachers I really latched onto and a couple different classes I really latched onto. And then the the pro the the you know internship that we've, you know, how our paths cross Matt, your your company, College Works Painting, I did uh, go through that. And that was probably the biggest impetus that really got me focused and latched onto this idea of becoming a business owner that was very important to me and, and I really identified with for for several years there, like during and after college. And you never know, right? Uh, people are so concerned about what's your major, what's your major. And I think, wow, how do you even know how to pick your major? Cause nobody's yeah. taught you about it. Nobody sat you down and it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's such an impossible. Let's, let's just give these young kids credit. I, I don't want to give, um, you know, generation Z or whoever's in college right now. I don't want to totally let them off the hook. It is important to have a plan. It's important to be paying attention and, and knowing where you want to go. It's an impossible task to be, to be given no ex experience in something. And then order, it's like ordering food from a restaurant you've never been, never been to before. You don't know what it's going to be like. So you have to pick something blindly. Um, and then, you know, at that age, you're right. People, you know, these kids are taught to place, I was taught to place such an important um, price on, on what my major was and it would determine what jobs I was eligible for. And at the end of the day, it didn't, it didn't really matter because I switched several times after graduation. So it doesn't matter. Yeah. But if you go back to your definition of, of excellence, there's no real top to the mountain. There, there's milestones along the way, but it's a zone of being a high performer. And then in our conversation, it turns out that you're always looking around. You're on a path, but you're always looking around to see if you're on the right path. And you may have to jump off. So my wife, by the way, wanted to go into sales. She's the opposite of a salesperson. She was a great salesperson, had to jump off. Now she has a baking business. My brother-in-law wanted to go into sales, worked for one of our companies, wasn't very good at it, and figured out he needed to jump and go to a different path. Now, both of them are happy. Both of them are super successful. They just had to be open. You're, you go do the, uh, the, uh, engine, the electrical, the electrician job. You thought that was your path, but you're, you know, you're listening. and you're, So that's the, that's the great advice for people on here. Uh, pay attention. Pay attention. Be open serendipity you never know what's going to come up and if you're if you're in a process of always being excellent you've got these routines of always being excellent you're just aiming forward as fast as you can to do the best you can 
Those opportunities are going to be available because everyone's going to know you're doing a great job. So you're in college. Um, you did the college works program. Uh, you were really successful at the college works program. Um, got a little bit of the taste of business. You had a little bit of more, more contracting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and, and then how do you end up uh, coaching the Navy on building ships? Yeah, so there's a few more. There's a few more or steps fixing between ships, I guess. I right, right, right. There's a few, <laughs> there's a few more steps between there and here. Uh, so, so I graduate college. I go get a sales job, just like everybody and their brother, right? And um, and I wasn't very good at it, and I didn't like it. It wasn't even. It actually, I I thought it would be similar to my experience in in having this internship and in my own my own business. Uh, and it wasn't. It was selling for someone else. It was totally different. It was a product catalog I didn't really care about. So I did that for, for about a year and left. I went back and teamed up with, uh, uh, I got, got like a part-time job, you know, and I, I think I think the young people listening to this, if you're not familiar with side hustles, please become familiar with it. I work in, in basically a corporate environment and everybody from the 20-somethings up to the, the baby boomers have a side hustle. Anyone who's like ambitious, I mean, everybody, everybody's got something, even the older guys, they've got, Houses and rental properties and things. So, so here we are in the in the twenty teens or whatever, or two thousand eight or nine, and uh, and I start up a internet business with a buddy of mine, a friend from college, another college works alumni, and we're going to sell uh, online class notes to to people via this online marketplace. We work on that for a year. It picks up a little traction. It flops and fails. Uh, learned a lot. Uh, had a couple other small endeavors in there, probably not even worth mentioning now. And I'm sitting here af- after the the kind of com- conclusion of that business, thinking, "Oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Didn't like the sales job. I'm passionate about having my own business. Passionate about learning and development, and have just put every all my eggs into this internet business basket, and it, and it flopped. And an ex girlfriend calls me up, and she said, "Hey, I think I know what you should do." She said, there was this, this coach, this executive coach that came into our company. She's working in healthcare or something, came into our company, spoke to our team. He reminded me so much of you. He, you should check this out. Check out professional coaching, whatever. So what do I do? I go on Google. I, I Google, you know, professional coaches in the St. Louis metro area, uh, pull up a couple names, cold call a few of them just to try and pick their brain. And one of them was a, uh, was a past uh, U.S. Army drill sergeant and pharmaceutical sales rep by day. And he also did coaching on the side as, as his side hustle or whatever. So I talked to him. He's at Fort Leonard Wood in Missouri, firing artillery shells. There's bombs going off in the background. And he's asking me questions like, so what do you what do you want to do with your life? And what do you have to do when I hear these explosions? It's a really weird phenomenon. But um, I, I worked with him for a little bit and no one ever, no one had ever, with the exclusion of, of the internship with my with my district manager, no one had ever uh, put it to me as, as plainly as he did. Um, and just said, Hey, it sounds like, it sounds like you went through some stuff. It sounds like you're a little bit scared. You've got some great skills and it just seems like the thing to figure out here is how do you apply these skills to something that, that works for you that you're passionate about. And if we want to work together on that, here's, here's how this looks, et cetera. And, uh, pretty quickly I was like, Oh my God, how do I do what you do? And I, I had by that point got a new day job and borrowed a little money from my parents, and I applied for this coach training program based out of a, it's a company based in San Diego. They had a Chicago program, 2011, and I went through that for a year and hung up my shingle as a as a professional coach. While also, I think I was selling mortgages at the time just to make the make rent and make the bills pay. Are you enjoying the show thus far? We go through so many resources and links with this podcast, it's tough to keep up. I get it. That's why Matt and the rest of the team put together the Edge of Excellence Bundle. In it, you'll find different tools that relate to overarching themes and topics of the show. Things like disk assessment tools, time management strategies and tactics, stress and anxiety management tools, exclusive videos and episodes from this podcast that is not released anywhere else, and so much more. The best part? As a valued listener of this show, you can access the Edge of Excellence bundle 100% for free of charge. That's right, for simply being awesome and tuning in. To get access, all you have to do is go to www.collegeworks.com podcast and fill out the short form there for us to get the bundle over to you. Once again, it's www.collegeworks.com podcast. 
Now, back to the show. So that, that is really interesting. And we're got to go back to that serendipity. You're just like paddling in the water, paddling in the water, paddling in the water. And, oh, I just found some land. I'm going to hang out for a little bit. Paddling in the water. I don't like this land. Paddling in the water. So you go do your startup number one and you're selling these notes. It flops and everybody's experienced that. I thought there was a startup number two before uh, the coaching. Nope. No, no it was, there was some, there was some stuff just myself, odd construction jobs. I mean, it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough to even worth talking about. A bunch of side hustles put together. Yeah, several side hustles, a string of them, let's say. <laughs> and then this, this person you meet starts probing and you start thinking, wow, yeah. I love the experience. I want to do that. Yeah. And so definitely. you put your money where your mouth is. Serendipity pops up again. You love the experience. You go do that. So you get the certification. And now you've been a, you've been a branch manager of a construction company that you ran. You've had a construction job. You've had um, a variety of, of kind of side gigs that you put together. You've had a sales job. You have all this experience. And now a whole different ball game. You decide you want to be a coach. You go devote a bunch of time to it. And you went and worked for Edward Jones, which is a financial management company, not as a financial planner, not as an asset manager, not as a, uh, an adjuster. You went and worked as a coach. So they actually hire people to coach their employees to make it better, which there's big kudos to them for doing that. And how did you jump from Edward Jones to where you're at now? Yeah, so, so that was, uh, so, so if I back up a little bit, so I went to the coach training program. Hung up my shingle. I didn't give up for a year. That's probably a really important thing. Got out of this program. I'm like, okay, how am I going to do this? What's going to be my thing? Tried out a couple different niches. Was putting on workshops, working with a few people one on one. I was like, oh man, this is this is a little harder than I thought as well. And then, sure enough, uh, right when I needed uh, a little bit of help or some more experience, this uh, this opportunity opened up with Edward Jones. Went in there in 2013, helped them build out um, a training program inside of their training and development umbrella. They stood up this new this new group of uh, professional coaches to work with their financial advisors in the first uh, five years of business did that for about three years uh, with them. And then uh, my wife was, we were married and she was getting ready to have our first son. And I was, uh, I needed some time to step away. You know, I was on the phone working with people one-on-one supporting them in the, in the heat of battle, right? They're new financial advisors standing up a branch in wherever Kansas or something. And they, you know, uh, I'm supporting them uh, basically five or six hours of calls a day for about three years. I said, okay, I got to step away. Uh, did my own thing, um, worked with, uh, went back to my own business, worked with some small to mid-size, actually a lot of building trades, construction business owners that had employees that were working with, oh, how do I manage these people? How do I have uh, a training and development program, an onboarding program for these people? So working with them on those kinds of initiatives. And then uh, my wife and I decided, hey, you know what? We want to get out of Missouri. We want to see what else is out there. We want to travel a little bit. Let's see if we can find something on the West Coast. And so I cold applied to this company, uh, CACI, who's a defense contractor, and they had just won a project for training and development um, efforts for the Navy. And so one of the the options were Pearl Harbor, Hawaii, uh, Norfolk, Virginia, or here outside of Seattle in Puget Sound or Bremerton, Washington. And so I came up here in 2017, and I've been here a little over three and a half years working with uh, leadership on project teams that is responsible for these uh, aircraft carrier and submarine avails, as well as, I mean, the whole shipyard, the whole place is about 14,000 people. So you work with the, the leadership in terms of how can we integrate coaching into their training and development efforts? How can we single out key teams that are really, that have, um, you know, some immense responsibilities and huge projects that they need some support with. They're often standing up new teams. How do we get these personalities working together and help them uh, kind of orient themselves towards hitting their milestones um, on time and under budget? Wow. So you got people listening right now thinking, whoa, I don't know what I want to do. And basically what you're saying is get going and keep your eyes open. You never know where you're going to end up. So now you're helping the Navy, but you're not in the Navy. You're helping the United States, but you're not an uh, employee of the United States. You kind of like teaching. You don't like sales. You like supporting. Yeah. You're, do- you're doing that. And you're working on it. Just as a side note, I think I got it right. They have these giant boats that they put out to sea for like two years. And they bring them in every two years to spend two years rebuilding them. Do I have that right? Yeah, the milestone, the, the timelines are different depending on the type of boat. But yeah, that's about that's about all I can say in terms of 
<laughs> logistics <laughs> and timeline. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, you get the idea. So we have the Navy has like 400, you know, vessels, 400 something vessels, and they have to be repaired. And there's a whole federal workforce that's in charge of, you know, you think you're taking your car to the shop is a big deal. Like these, it's crazy the amount of planning and, and technical proficiency and engineering that goes into preparing these vessels. Yeah. What if your car was five football fields long and one football field high with numerous engines? It's, I've really got to give, uh, got to give kudos to the Navy. And I know you told me before, you know, the same team works on the same boat, so they know what they're doing, but the Navy is wise enough to know that we can always improve and we can do it safer, faster, better, cheaper. And they've decided that the way to improve is have someone in there constantly coaching the team, making the team better, finding their strengths. And you did mention to me strength finder. How do you use strength? And I use disc. I have a whole episode on disc. Uh, you're the second person that loves strength finder. So how do you use strength finder in your coaching and how would understanding your strengths by going to strengthfinder.com or reading the book, help a 20 something find their path? Oh my gosh. It's, it's huge. Um, having done a lot of this work, uh, like you said, paying attention, you can have, you know, sometimes people reflect back to you things like oh, after they work with you, they'll say, Oh Matt, Hey, you're, man, I noticed you're really good at that. You're really good at, uh, ideation, thinking up new ideas or brainstorming things we could start, or you're really good at collaboration or we really responsible, man, I can always just count on you. So taking the strength finder assessment, helps, it just gives you your top five strengths to 34 strengths as they kind of define them. And it'll tell you what your top five are as well as you can buy the whole 34. And uh, what was so funny is a lot of the things looking back now in those jobs that I wasn't good at or wasn't satisfied, those were, those required, that role required strengths that were way down in my, towards the bottom of my strength set. The, the role I'm in now is probably one of the first jobs where my top strengths really line up with the key roles and responsibilities of the job. And, and we talked about DISC as well. I've taken DISC. You said supportive several times. I'm a strong S. I think I'm an SC, supportive and conscientious. Um, not the most direct, uh, not the person that you necessarily want going out, knocking on doors, you know, cold calling, sit like that kind of that kind of work. Uh, or there are other, you know, jobs that, uh, that require some of those other talents. But being able to understand yourself, the earlier, the better. You know, I think for young people, if they can start to, engage in these and, and figure out what are, you know, what are they interested in? And then what strengths can they bring to bear on those topics? It kind of starts to answer itself in terms of what you actually be good at. Yeah. And, uh, um, you can test yourself now you're yeah. in the car like, driving, listening to this <laughs> podcast, you're sitting at home. You can test yourself now. It's, I liken it to fishing, right? I like to fish once in a while. You don't just go out on the ocean and drop a lure in the middle of the ocean. You go fish the place where you went fishing before and you know there's fish or someone else told you there's fish there and you kind of know what uh, bait or lure to use. But in jobs, there's no one that gives them a strength finder test or a disc test in school. There's no one that sits down with them and goes over all the jobs that are out there in the world. That's why we have this podcast. But people can go take a strength finder test, figure out what they're good at, and then just go find the jobs that match up to that. Now we can help you. We've got the edge of excellence bundle. You can go to Adam socks coaching and maybe he can help you too, uh, but you can do it on your own. Just go read job descriptions and see what is going to align with your strengths. Because what Adam's saying is when you're doing something that doesn't align with your strengths or with disc, your natural behavioral patterns, you're cutting against the grain. You're fighting yourself. So Adam is a SC He's a supportive. There's jobs for that, like consulting, like coaching, um, not sales. And the funny thing about College Works, my wife is the same score as you. She was the best manager, the best district manager. You can fake it for a couple of years. You can yeah, do the sure. things you need to get your resume as, as wonderful as it can be, but you can't do it for your entire life. You're going to go crazy. Yeah, there's a real satisfaction component that was missing for me, you know, and they talk a lot about we've got some people on, our, on my team who have been uh, certified in delivering strength finders. And they talk about how you can use your your other strengths to kind of cobble together what's needed for the, the role or for a specific task. But it's just so much easier and so much more enjoyable when it why lines up you? with who you are. Yeah. Why would you, why would you do that? Every person listening to this podcast, there's about a thousand wonderful jobs that you can find and probably a month and a thousand horrible jobs. 
How do you know which one? You can't unless you do something like take a strike finder, take a disc test and do it scientifically. And then once you know, it's way easier to be, to practice serendipity like Adam does and be aware. Like when, when, when your girlfriend or wife comes to you and says, hey, or, or ex-girlfriend, hey, I think this would be really good for you. Bing, why don't I check that out? Or you have that gut feeling where I just hate this. Bing, maybe we should check something else out. The other thing I would mention, Matt, to your point or your, to your questions while I go of, you know, who did I think I was or what my plan was in high school and college, that's changed several times. I mean, when I when I did the internship we were talking about with College Works, I was very identified with kind of this startup entrepreneur. And, you know, at the time, it, you know, it was, I guess it was uh, it was post.com bus, but it, the 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 successful internet entrepreneur was very sexy for, for college, for like young college men. Like it was just everywhere. Mark Zuckerberg, people had him as a poster on their wall. I mean, it was like, that was the dream. Right. And to, to do that, to start that out, you're, it was very much the solopreneur route. And here I was this person who's, who now I now have realized really good on a team, really good at helping see how ideas and, and plans and strategies will work once they're created, but maybe not creating the idea or the product or the, you know, the offering myself. Um, I need a team. And, and I, I was trying to go, I kept beating my head against this door of like, I'll do it all. I'll do it myself. I'll be the solopreneur. Didn't work for me. And then it took me a while to actually come to that conclusion of like, oh, maybe I'm not this ego ideal that I'd made up about the successful, you know, one man gunslinger, you know, future, you know, future internet entrepreneur. I had to realize like, I need, I need other people. And some of those greatest things throughout history have been created with with teams and with people working together. And uh, I don't know why it took me so long to, to realize that, but again, I think that's where paying attention and looking at some of these things and getting feedback from other people can help you really see how you fit in and what path might be best. I don't think it took that long for you, Adam, because well, the, alternative, <laughs> the alternative is a midlife crisis when you're in your forties, right? Yeah. So you figured it out early. You know, our listeners are just getting started with life. There sure. are tools out there. You can take a disc test. You can take a strength finder test. There's a little research to be done. Go read job descriptions. Talk to people. You can skip the midlife crisis. That's why we're doing this podcast. You can skip it, but it takes a little bit of effort. Most people don't listen like Adam listens. Most people aren't paying attention like Adam's paying attention. Most people don't let a thousand flowers grow and practice serendipity. And so they get stuck. And back to that swimming analogy. If you're going to swim across a lake, you don't duck your head in the water and go. You got to pop up and look around and be able to absorb the indicators. You're going the wrong way. You're not going fast enough. There's danger. There's safety. And it's the same thing in the job world. And, and by the way, Adam has things he hates doing every day. I have, yeah, and I have things I hate doing. <laughs> we both love our jobs. We both get to be teachers, consultants, and coaches. I love being a teacher, consultant, and coach. But, you know, I don't like accounting, and I got to do that every day. It's just you don't want to be stuck in the thing you don't love all day. Yeah, the other thing I would add to, to all this is, as I think back now about kind of the path that got me here, there's a certain humility that I think I tapped into early of being willing to not only be wrong about my idea of the world or how I thought it had to go, but the humility of listening to people that have gone before me and, and are gone before us and have done what we want to do. Uh, because a lot of the, what helped me as I think back on some of these key markers where I, I pivoted, I turned, I was really putting a lot of faith in what someone else said about me or what are opportunities or, Hey, you know, I think you'd be really good at this. Uh, and I think that, I think that young people, like if you're smart, you can give credit where it's due. And, and I remember being a 20 something and thinking, Oh, these 50 year olds, they don't know. They don't know anything. They don't know what they're talking about. They're it's the blind leading the blind out there. But now that I get into the business world, I look to people that are, you know, 10, 15, 20 years, my senior, and I'm just thirsting for like, okay, what's he going to say that I can pick up on and I can use because the best, you know, it's like they say about the best art is, is stolen or borrowed or, you know, re repackaged. There are so many good ideas out there and, and, and understanding of the way the world, the world works or, you know, there's so many people that just want, want to help you win too. I had so many people that took time for conversations with me and would ask me questions or listen to me or throw out an idea or an offer. Oh yeah. Hey, I would connect you with that person if you want. Or, oh, what about this company? You might, you might like working there. I can send an email intro. There's so many opportunities if you just slow down long enough to look around and be humble enough to ask for help or feedback. 
It's the Pareto principle. 80% of what you do is a waste of time. 20% of what you do yields 80% of the results. What if you hadn't been listening? What if you hadn't paid attention? What if you hadn't been opened? You'd still be struggling in the wrong job and you'd have your realization in 20 more years, right? Yeah. I ask my, I think about that often, uh, especially whenever I go back home and I'm driving by some of these subdivisions where I worked as an, elect, as an electrician. And I think, oh man, I remember being out in that front yard and it was January and oh, what if I was still doing that? And yeah, it's, it's really, uh, it's, it's profound to think about how some small choices can make a huge. And I'll, and I'll pick up on what you said. Sometimes the advice isn't dead on. So I had a guy named Marty Rothstein and he called me Senator. And I would always go, and he had a Rolls Royce and an observatory on his house. And he was the man in New Mexico. And his son still is one of my best friends. Uh, and he would call me Senator. And he would say, hey, when you're president, make sure you hire me as a, a Homeland, uh, no, Health and Services Secretary. And he always called me Senator. So I wanted to be a politician. And, you know, we talked about the locker and I'd be a great lawyer because I have the gift of gab. And so I was steered the wrong way. Right. I would not be a great lawyer because I'm not detail oriented. I don't really like rules. I kind of do things my own way. I don't work in the legal system as a politician. I thought I wanted to do that. I could never handle being a politician. Um, for a variety of reasons. So it wasn't the best advice, right? Directly, it wasn't the best, but the nuances were, hey, Senator, I mean, the faith he gave me, the belief he gave in me. So I set off on a path and I was like you, I'm going down the river and all of a sudden there's a new stream and I go that way. And eventually I end up being a business guy. I would have never been a business guy if I didn't start off as wanting to be a lawyer. I would have never been a business guy if I had not been you know, I was not a, a great kid in high school. To, to have this guy uh, saying nice things to me was really important in my life. And like you, I was open. Yeah, and you can see there was some essential, there was something he was picking up on, right? Maybe it wasn't the, the role of becoming a senator, but there was some essential quality in there that he saw in you. And he's like, oh, I've met people like you before and you end up doing such and such, right? Uh, I was, so when I was uh, young, probably 15 or 16 my dad and I were, were uh, landscape doing, you know, these landscaping jobs. And uh, there was a gentleman whose house we, we, we sought at his front yard and laid some landscaping blocks or whatever. And um, he had a son who had went off and became a priest. And, you know, that's cool. And we're talking out in the yard, you know, I get to know him over a couple of days and I'm you know, pretty talkative for a 16 year old. And he stopped me and he said, Hey, he said, uh, I don't know how you ever feel about this, but he said, I think you'd make a really good priest. And I said, what a weird compliment. I was like, wow, uh, you know, thanks. I, I, and he said, no, just, just in talking to you, you're personable, you can communicate. He's like, that's what, you know, the, the Catholic, the archdiocese, whatever. The archdiocese needs more people like you, and you, you should consider that. I didn't take it seriously, wasn't very interested in it. But now looking back on what I do now, I was like, hot dog, that guy hurt. He saw me. He saw that I could communicate, that I can listen well, that, you know, empathy is like my number two strength and strengths finder. So it's like he, it's amazing that someone can see that in a young, a young person and say, wow, there's something there, you know, I'll put my mental on, model on it. Here's what I think they could be good at and go do. But either way, the, the quality or that strength is still in there. Yeah. So if people are giving you advice, they may have, what did you call it? Uh, they may have a different mental mind. Is that what you just said? They may mental have a model. Yeah. Mental model. They have a different mental model. So they have their way of seeing things. Marty Rothstein was telling me, you're a good leader. You're a good leader and you should apply that to law. Well, I worked on my leadership skills and applied it to business. This guy was saying, hey, Adam, you're a really good coach. Priests need to be good coaches. Priests need to be good consultants. Yeah. Priests need to help people get from point A to point B. You took that advice and applied it to a different industry that's probably better for you as a person, yeah, just like is. business is better for me as a person. Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. It's it, you know, and, and priests very much are in the helping profession, which which I uh, consider myself to be. So yeah, it's amazing how uh, how you're getting those little clues. I love you know, I've got a good friend who uses the word serendipity and. He's very into his faith. And, and uh, regardless of your, your view of God or the universe, I do think that through life, we, we end up with these little, these little paths or trails, whatever you said there, open up, the stream branches off and you have that choice. And it's really, I think that the thing that's given me the confidence to pursue those things uh, was really being more grounded in who I am or, or having that understanding of what I'm, what I'm after and what I'm about. And because um, I know there's been several times, like I could have told that, um, 
you know, the coach that I met that he, he actually invited me up to this training program. When we talked, it was, it was starting that week in Chicago and the program was like $13,000. And he's like, Hey, if you, if you leave in two days and drive up to Chicago and stay in this hotel and go to this weekend program, we're beginning this year long, you know, transformational training program. And here's how much it costs. I could have very easily said, Oh, Hey, that's, Hey man, that's beyond my means. I can't do that right now. I've got to go back here to being a failed internet entrepreneur and not knowing what to do with my life, you know, but, uh, but I took a chance and I asked my, called my parents and was like, Hey, can I borrow, you know, a little bit of money here over the next, next few months? Um, yeah. So it's, it's really having the courage to kind of pounce on those opportunities. You said humility, but it's really confidence. It's confident yeah, enough right. to be humble. It's confident enough to be open. It's confident enough to think, hey, maybe this other person has something that I could I could take out. And even the worst advice probably has a gem of awesomeness in it. And it's being open enough to find that. Wow. Uh, well, I've really enjoyed this. That's a real, you, go ahead. Yeah. No, I was going to say that the word confidence there, that's really, uh, that is a key word. We I do a lot of interviewing when we hire uh, professional coaches. Um, I work with have, have way more experience than me even we, we have people for, for this line of work that's been uh, coaching consulting for 15 or 20 years and interview one of the things that that's one of the number one things we describe we, we say you have to be confident you are you have to be able to come into an organization and not you know what we call going native to be able to come in and, and view them as an outsider, to partner with them enough to where they trust you, but also retain retain your your own perspective to be able to see them as their organization, diagnose and point out, oh, here's what's going on. You guys have really ineffective communication in this area or in this way, and it's that confidence to to give feedback, to communicate directly, to to kind of know who you are, so that you can have a really clear, unmuddied relationship with with your customer, and the humility to be okay with them taking it or leaving it if you're in consulting. Bingo. That's a huge thing. You know, in my industry, especially, uh, you have to not get your, your need. You have to get your needs met elsewhere. You can't be getting your identity out of how successful your ideas are or how much, you know, I support people all the time and I think, wow, what an amazing conversation. And they go off and they don't do anything about it. And if I, if I'm not careful, I'm like, oh God, I suck. I'm a terrible coach, blah, blah, blah. No, that's just the game. That's part of the game. Just like sales, that sales mindset of like, you know, Hey, here's a decent closing percentage. It might be 30%, depending on your industry. It might be 10%. You know, so to be able to go in, have the tough conversation, have the, uh, you know, the sit down and be willing for them to say no. Yeah, that's that's a big part of it. Wow. So there's so much, so much in here, so much uh, um, humility, so much confidence, so much serendipity, all sorts of different paths that people can gain from. And I got to ask you one more question. It's, It's one of my favorite questions. And it comes from me being in college and my parents inviting me to Spain and having a big trip to Spain and then running into this dude, Jeremy Kisner, and taking the college works job instead and giving up my spring break and giving up my summer and how horrible that was and how pissed I was. I had, and all the victim stuff that I chose to take a job instead of going to Spain. But I look back and I'm so glad I did it. So what sacrifices have you made that you'll never regret and that you would encourage your young self to sacrifice again? Oh my gosh. Uh, well, that year of 2011, when I uh, took on the debt of a training program and, and 12 trips to Chicago from St. Louis, that I paid for, I paid for as much as I could about out of pocket. While I had friends going to work for uh, Wells Fargo and Bank of America and successful, you know, all kinds of companies, and I was watching them. That my same peer group, they were they were putting money away in their retirement. They were inviting me out to go to bars and party and all this stuff. They were buying new new automobiles. Like there was all these things, and here I am, just like slumming it, living with two roommates. In South City, St. Louis, barely, barely, you know, eating healthy food, like barely making my grocery budget um, while watching my friends uh, do the traditional route. And, and because all in the pursuit of, uh, you know, pursuit of, of something that I really wanted to finding how to find a, a role or work career path that lined up with who I was. Um, it was a, there was a tough couple of years there, really lean, really, you know, didn't have a lot and found I got my wife out of the deal. I wouldn't have, uh, I was working on myself. She was very attracted to that. We met in 2011, it'll be 10 years this fall. And uh, just, I was, I was, I had never been more clear on who I was as a man and what I wanted for my future. And just bam, instant found my dream woman. So it was, 
it's very clear now looking back, I would not have any of this have an amazing, amazing son, amazing family, you know, incredible job, paid very well. Uh, I wouldn't have any of that had I not sacrificed back then because of getting really clear on what I wanted. You sacrificed your ego. You didn't sacrifice yeah. the money. You sacrificed your ego. That's yeah. hard to do. Yeah. It was, it was, it was, there was, there were points where they were borderline humiliating. You know, I'd see friends from college, we're out, we're out of college for two or three years at this point. Like, Hey man, what are you doing? And I'm like, Oh, I'm living in a basement and I have a failed internet company and I'm going off to become a coach. <laughs> and they're like, what do you, you know, what, what are you talking about? But, uh, but I had my eye on the prize. And I, again, that, that process, you know, consistently practicing honing my craft and, uh, and here I am. And I, and I helped lead a team of 10 incredibly successful uh, coaches, consultants, all of whom have are you know older than me and have a ton of experience, and just am so lucky to be part of such an amazing team doing work that's really uh, meaningful. And I think we're making an impact. Well, all of my parenting mistakes were due to my ego, and I would get mad at my kids for screaming at a restaurant. Yeah. Why am I taking them to a restaurant? And why do I care? They're kids. They're acting like kids. Yeah. But I was embarrassed. Yeah. Most of my business success is from not having an ego. And if you could sit there and just suck in everybody else's eyes for two years because you know you're doing the right thing, look what happens. That sacrifice was life-changing. Yeah, it was a total investment. Yeah, an investment, an investment. Well, Adam, thank you so much for making time today. This was fascinating. Um, I really appreciate you coming in with this crazy path to your to your, to your end, crazy means to your end. And I'm really stoked that you got through an entire lifetime of challenges in like eight years because you <laughs> have an ego control and uh, you are open to possibilities. What a wonderful thing. Thank you. Thank you for the acknowledgement there and the compliment, Matt. And uh, pleasure to be here. And I hope, uh, yeah, I hope you keep doing what you're doing. Kudos to you for, uh, for you know, doing this podcast. You obviously don't have to. Thanks for trying to uh, lend a helping hand to the young people out there that are trying to figure out who they are and what their path, um, what path they should take. Well, I think I found my path too. So uh, this is, this is why God put me here. So I'm happy to do it. It's great, man. I hope you enjoyed that episode today on the Edge of Excellence podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe on whichever platform you're listening to this. If this episode made you think of someone, go ahead, take a screenshot and share this exact episode with them. This show exists to showcase what is possible when young leaders are willing to step out of their comfort zone and choose to excel in their lives. To learn more about our internship for young and ambitious students, www.oneinternship.com podcast to see if it's something that makes sense for you. Once again, it is www.oneinternship.com podcast. Let this be a reminder for you to live on the edge of excellence in your business and life. See you next time.